I'm Kim Crawl. I'm reporting you not live from my closet. Hi guys. Uh, my cat's in the closet right now. He's found a new spot that he likes to sleep during the day. And uh, it's only like a four day old new sleeping spot. But I, so this is the first time I've recorded with him in here. And I'm just, he seems fine so far. I've been in here talking to myself for a good 15 minutes. So he seems fine so far, hopefully. Oh man, guys. Hi. Uh, how are we? I feel like I, the last three weeks have been so freaked out about my book, my book, uh, that I've disassociated and I don't remember most of the podcast that I'm like, I have no idea what I talked about. Um, mostly the book. Uh, but today I think is going to, no, I know it's going to be a bit of a serious one. And every time I know I'm going to come into the closet and talk about serious shit, I get like super nervous and I avoid it. Like I owe it money. Like, it's just, it's uh, something happened this morning in the news. Um, and I think it's important to talk about. And uh, I always get nervous that when I talk about important shit, people are either not going to take me seriously or get bored and tune me out. But I guess those people that do that, I'm not for you, you know? Um, also, there's a podcast I was on. I was on Bill Dawes' podcast. Bill Dawes's podcast? His name's Bill Dawes. So is it Bill Dawes's? Bill Dawes? I don't know. Uh, he probably knows. I could ask him. That'd be a weird thing for me to call him and be like, yo, I can't say your name with the plural or uh, possession, right? Is that what it is? Possession? Don't know much about history. Um, I was on his podcast and it's like a three hour conversation. It was a, and it releases tomorrow. It was like three hours and he messaged me today and he goes, I'm not going to cut it up. It's a really good conversation. And he's like, I think it's important shit that we talked about. And I think that I'm, if people want to listen to the three hours, they will listen. And I, I think you should. Um, I've never talked, I've never sat down. He says I sound really good and he doesn't sound very good, um, which is, uh, uh, I'm like, yeah, cause we disagree and I'm on the, you know, on the right side of things. I don't think he's on the wrong side of things. I think he's in the middle side of things and I think it's, uh, um, but he also was very civil. That's the wrong word I'm looking for. But I have not in a long time had a civil conversation or like a productive conversation with someone I don't agree with. And he and I talked for a really long time about shit. We, you know, we just, we just see different eye to eye and he's not on the like all lives matter side, but he's like, he, he's questioning statistics, which isn't fully correct, but we talk a lot about it. And, um, and then we also talk about, uh, how I was sexually abused and, you know, how my family reacted to it and how, uh, I handled it and where I'm at today. And, you know, I, I, I know I talk about it some on here and I talk about it one-on-one -on -one with people, but I have never talked about it as much and as openly as I did. He's a really good interviewer, by the way, um, as I did on his show. And I thought, you know, today, with what's going on in the news, which I'll get to. Um, I'm going to have a little bit of a serious day, a little bit of a serious uh, talk, because what I want to do with my life is um, give victims space to talk and be believed and not brushed off or it wasn't that bad. You know what I mean? Like, so Bill Cosby was released today. Uh, they overturned his conviction. Um, for my, I'm not seeing a bunch of information so far. It's just saying that the uh, Pennsylvania Supreme Court overturned the conviction. I believe that it was because uh, they allowed in a testimony that they now see as unconstitutional. He's only served two years of his 10-year sentence. Uh, 10 years is all you get for uh, drugging and raping a person. Isn't that fucking crazy? That's fucking crazy. Um, oh, I'm, I'm so angry and I'm not triggered. I know a lot of people because of what I went through as a child, um, a lot of people think I am, I get triggered when I talk about this stuff. Like I talked about the bouncer that, um, cornered me in a closet and asked to see under my dress and then like, you know, like wouldn't let me leave. I had to like push him out. And then how my, my former employer handled that, how poorly they handled it. And, uh, and how a lot of the people at that bar turned on me, how they all like took the guy side and like, I shouldn't have rocked the boat. Like it was like, it wasn't that bad. So why did you need to like say something? And, and then one of the bouncers who uh, I had become friends with and knew a lot about my dad, um, 
he goes, yeah, when I found out that he had done that, uh, Boris had done this to one of the bartenders, I thought, please don't let it be Kim. And yeah, I used his name cause I don't give a fuck. Um, uh, don't corner a woman in a closet and ask to see under her dress if you don't want to be fucking called out. Um, but uh, the, the bouncer I was close to, he knew a lot about, and he was like, oh man, when I heard that, I was like, please don't let it be Kim because of everything she's gone through, I'm sure she's going to take it much worse than a normal person. And it's just like, and then when I get up heated about Bill Cosby or I, you know, I get heated about these subjects, people are like, I know it's triggering for you. It's not fucking triggering for me. I've worked through this. Like I forgave my father. I actually went back and forgave him in person before he died. I have, I have gone to therapy. I've gone to 12 step. I, I you know, I've worked, th- I've worked 12 step program through it. I've talked about it. I've talked about it and I've, and yeah, part of it will always be with me. Um, in my most formative years, the man that was supposed to be taking care of me, like I get, I get sad, not sad. It's a weird, I get uncomfortable when a father and a daughter are affectionate on TV because that to me is danger, danger, Will Robinson. I don't know why I said that, but uh, you know what I mean? Like that's what I see it as, even though I know that's just my child brain, part, the child part of my brain that had a father that would be affectionate, but it wasn't a father daughter affection. It was, you know, strings attached, more stuff involved, you know? And, um, so I, it's so, it, it, it irks me. It doesn't irk me. It pisses me off. And people are like, well, I know you're a little more sensitive to it. Why? Because I was sexually abused as a child. No, maybe I'm more, maybe I've done more research, more work on it, more looked into it, talked to more victims. Like it happened to way, like sexual assault and sexual abuse has happened to way more people than you know, right? Men alike as well. Like, like, uh, I know a man that, uh, was assaulted, um, by a woman and, and he was brave enough and I'm keeping names out of this and I'm going to keep it super vague cause it's not mine to tell, but, um, he was brave enough to say something about it and say something on social media and, and tell his story. And then multiple men came forward about this same woman. And what's wild is some people are like, yeah, but you're a guy. You could have fought her off. Yeah. But he's a dude. Why? Like sexual assault isn't, isn't, genderized like at all like in fact until we can make men more comfortable talking about this sort of thing what happened to the what happens to them too yes of course on on a um statistically speaking it happens way more to women than it does men but like what about the men victims and i i have a we have a mutual friend the guy who was assaulted and our our mutual friend he was like i can't even get into all that like the fact that he went out there and like it, it like he wasn't assaulted cause he's a big dude and he couldn't like, he could have said no. And it's just like, God, that it's not triggering to me. And I know a lot of people are like, well, you're triggered because what happened with your dad. That makes me, that makes my blood boil because it, it one invalidates what is happening to other people. It invalidates situations and it invalidates my experience of how angry I am that it's, that it happens invalidates, devaluates, invalid. I think invalidates is a word. You guys know I don't. Sometimes I don't know words. Um, But it invalidates others' experiences and it invalidates all the work I've done. Takes away the validation. Invalidates. I feel like if I'm going to use that word a lot in this podcast, I should look it up to see if it's real. But it... It, yeah, if it, it, it takes away the takes invalid. All right, let's Google it together, shall we? Um, but the fact like it's I'm not triggered. All right, validate. I can't um, invalidate. Yeah, it's invalidate. Oh, my God. When I find out that a word that I'm using is the correct way, I'm like, God, I'm a goddamn genius. But it invalidates these people's uh, these these. <sighs> Uh, the, the, what happened to them, the trauma, like it makes me so angry. And so 10 years for assaulting a woman. I mean, look at Brock Turner, Brock Turner got what, like three months in jail or some shit. He's out. I know his life's pretty much ruined, but when you have that, when you have money, like, dude, he, I I don't know where he is now, but it's like, it'd be easy for him to change his name, move to another country. He's probably fine. Uh, but the woman that he raped behind a dumpster for the rest of her life, I am grateful that we have a system that keeps those women, um, their identities private because, um, and I uphold that when I talk about stories I've heard, 
Um, and I, I try to vague it up too. Uh, yeah. So just the, like, I know it triggers you. Um, so I did talk about in Bill Dawes's podcast. Um, I don't even know how it came up, but, uh, we talked about how I, oh, wow, this is really hard. This is the moment where I want to like turn around and like start over and do something fun. Um, how I, I, when I cut my dad out, so when, uh, and I'm not going to get into all the fun things we did when I was a kid. Cause I, I don't, I, I don't want to trigger people. I should probably put a trigger warning on this. Um, I know the difference between triggers and upset because I know when I'm triggered by something, I know how I know it. Like, I know it's more hysterical than it. This upsets me and I want to do everything I can to talk about this. Um, there's a woman in comedy now who, uh, has decided to quit comedy and just dedicate all of her social media to taking down the predators and comedy. And some of them I know personally, the guys that she's calling out, I know personally who have done, who've been very kind to me. And, but I also know that that's how people felt about Chris D'Elia where they're like that guy, you know, and, and we talk about living in the gray. I talked about that with a friend today where what D'Elia did, a lot of people were like, well, that's kind of gray. Cause they were, they were underage. They were, you know, they were like 17. That's a child. There's a comic I know when, when the D'Elia stuff was coming out. For those of you who don't know, uh, Chris D'Elia was outed over the, as a comic and was outed over the summer for, um, luring underage girls to his hotel room or various places and having sex with them. Uh, that's statutory rape, by the way. And then some people's arguments like, well, in that state, 16 is the age of consent. Are you kidding me? That's, that's your argument. Uh, the guy bro, the guy I ended things with, um, uh, a month or two ago is Delia's like a huge fan of Chris Delia. And I can't and, and like justifies what happened because they said yes. And they were, you know, they're set almost 18 and it's just like, those are so a, a con, like that, that to me, I'll never be able to be with a man who says that about a predator and, and Delia never even, he apologized to his fiance for cheating on her and then made it all about himself. There was never a moment where he apologized to the victims. And I know, I know a lot of women that have come forward personally. I know a few women personally who have talked about the things Chris D'Elia did to them. Um, and I won't share those, but like, it's just like, so that guy gets to say he has a sex problem and, and now he gets to come back. And then people like the dude I was seeing is like, well, he said he was sorry and he has a problem. And I think that that's fine and we should not cancel everybody. Like I can never, I'm grateful that it ended with that guy. It's still sort of, stings a little bit, but I think that's just, you know, how it goes. Um, this is going to be all over the map. I, I apologize, I guess, but yeah, she's late naming out all these names and it's hard for me because a few of those guys I, I know and they have been kind to me. Um, but I also know that the other guys she's naming, uh, get to just like own this industry and act however they fucking want to act and talk to women however they want to talk to women and, and do what Louis C.K. did for a long time. And there's people who still justify what Louis C.K. did to them. There's still people that are like, but he asked. And it's like, if you are a person that says he asked before he dropped his pants in a room, in a, in a green room, in a comedy club, when he was one of the biggest comics in the world... And ma master, if you and masturbated in front of these women, I know women that he ruined their lives. They were they, the P the PTSD from that, the like anxiety around it, and then the victim blaming and shaming they had. They quit comedy. I know a woman who who was actually interviewed in the New York Times for the whole thing, and she was like, "Yeah, I quit comedy because I was so fucking scared." It's like what we did to Monica Lewinsky. Oh God, it's just so. It's the it's the patriarchy, and I hate. I, I, I know that that's like a feminism, feminism drum beat or whatever, like where they're like, it's a fuck the patriarchy, but it really is. It's like, well, it's like, what about the victims? What about the woman that, that was brave enough to stand up to Bill Cosby in court, have her story told, have her name all over the place that the, the hate mail that woman would have, must have gotten like the, the scrutiny that one and she did it all. And then at the end of it, he got convicted and was put away and it was like, okay, it was all for something. When this guy gets out, he won't be, he won't be, he will be too young or too old to do anything. Right. He'll be almost dead. And then now they overturned it. And this guy is walking out free. <sighs> 
it's, it's, um, and it's not hard for me. Like I, I just, it makes me so angry that people hear my story and they go, well, I know it's harder for you because of what happened to you. No. In fact, I think I understand it more because of what happened to me, but it's not harder for me. It sh- you should you, I, you should have empathy for those victims. It, you shouldn't have had to be sexually assaulted or abused in order to look at that and, and have humanity for those victims and understand like what I, what we did to Monica Lewinsky. Yeah, she was, yeah, she consented to blowing a dude, but the most powerful man on the planet, you're 23 years old, asks you for a blow job. You say yes to that. Like, I don't, like, that's, that's not, and, and we made her a punchline and she, she has done well for herself, actually. Now she, she, you know, she laughs along and her Twitter is fantastic, but like how we, we, and then we praise Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton, who used his power to get a blow, like to get, ah, uh, just, it's. It's like what we did with Britney Spears. And now everyone's all on Team Britney now because she she was able to finally stand up for herself. What we've been doing to Britney Spears the whole time should be infuriating to you. This this little girl got out of a, a car with no underwear on under her skirt and a male adult paparazzi went up, up over under her skirt and took a picture of her vagina and the world made a Britney Spears apologize for that. It's just all so fucking backwards. It's just all so back. So when I, when I, what I talk about on the podcast tomorrow, and please listen to the whole thing. Cause you know, I'll, I mean, I'm going to talk about it now. Um, uh, I waited until, and I'm not, I, I knew that my, what my dad, I didn't know exactly when something like that happens to you as a child, um, at, at a young age, you repress a lot of those memories. A lot of my memories are still gone. Like I don't remember huge chunks of my childhood. There are times where I have a memory right up until my dad was going to touch me and it goes black, literally goes black. Um, like there's no, I have no after no, like it's, it's black. Right. And so your, your, your brain from my understanding will, will help you survive trauma like that by hiding it from you, by, by removing it. Um, because, and I, I know when I had the first memory of my dad touching me in the shower, I broke my arm that day. I, uh, I, and maybe one day there'll be another episode where I'll really talk about the abuse. Um, but I just, I, I, I keep it vague because, well, it's graphic and gross and horrible. And, and so I, I repress a lot of that. And then I also, my mom left when I was young. Um, she didn't, you know, she, you know, she, I got every other weekend or whatever, but my mom wasn't around. She was gone. And I was told quite a bit by all the adults in my life that my dad was the best guy ever. And like, thank God he wanted me because no one else did. And like, he, look at him. He stayed. It took me years of therapy and 12 step to be like, yeah, you had a kid. You knocked a one drug addict, knocked up another drug addict. And then you had a kid. And like, like you had a, like, like you kept it clothed and fed. I wonder what the, you know, like I'm fresh out of metals today. Like I it just, but I was raised to believe that because he stayed and he, you know, he was the leader of the girl scout troop, which is a lot to unpack. I don't believe he did anything to the other girls. Cause they still reach out to me about how great he was. And, but I think he did it because of guilt, right? Like it was just like, oh, if I'm the best dad ever on paper or to the outside world, what I'm actually doing inside this house will, will be less shitty, you know, or less like, I I don't, I don't know. I don't. And I, I've forgiven Tom because my dad was mentally ill. Like it's, I, I, like, it's not, I don't, he was mentally ill. He was sick. And I, yeah, it sounds wild. I know. And I, it still should. So I was raised in this environment that was told that he was the best guy ever, right? Everybody around me just loved my dad so much. My dad was super charismatic. And according to a lot of people, he was really funny. I never really saw the funny side of him. Um, he didn't really treat me the way he treated other people. Um, you know, besides the whole sexual abuse thing, I just mean like in general, like there was never really any like fun times, you know, like, uh, we had some good memories. I said, I mean, obviously there were good memories. It's not black and white. I think that's where living in the gray is, is that Tom wasn't Tom, Tom was really sick. And I know I've called him a monster before, but I, 
I, and you know, talk to me next year, maybe more stuff will be on, you know, revealed. I think it's not a linear process. And if you are somebody that is, has gone through this, I'm so sorry. And I'm sorry how hard it is for us to come forward. Like after days like today with Cosby, it's just like, ask me again, why victims don't come forward. Like you were dragged through the fucking mud. Every little part of your life is on trial. Every sexual partner, every drug you've done, every single way that the, the fucking defense attorney can tear you apart to prove innocence is, is, you know, put out for the world to see. And then maybe, maybe they'll get convicted. And if they get convicted, maybe they'll get, maybe they'll get a year for something that will take the rest of your life to get over. And then maybe they'll get their, that the conviction overturned and walk out scot-free where a lot of people are like, I knew he never did anything. Like, it's just ask me again, why victims don't come forward. Ask me fucking again. I didn't, a lot of people are like, well, if this happened to you when you were a kid, why didn't you say anything then? Because I was told my dad was the best guy ever. And everybody else that loved him, everybody else that loved me thought he said he was the best dude ever. And then the only other option was living with my mother who was a drug addict and an alcoholic and was going in and out of jails and rehabs and a revolving door of men. It was not safe. And like what my brain did, what any other brain does is it shut it down and like disassociated and got through it. And then when I, when I grew up, I, everyone was like, your dad is the best guy ever. Your dad is the best guy ever. And I was a broken record who said that I was like, my dad is the best guy in the world. My dad is my best friend. I love my dad, my dad, my dad, my dad. But meanwhile, my skin was crawl. My skin, he made my skin crawl. We'd go on these trips. Um, when I was in high school, uh, and I know we went when I was younger, when I was in high school and we'd stay in the same hotel room and he would just wake me up while he was like naked, touching himself, um, in the bed next to his, like, it, uh, and I, I, maybe I ought to put a trigger warning on this. I think the episode's going to be named me Too part two. Uh, so if most people will know what it's going to be about, but, um, and so I, I, I made a hat and I couldn't, I never could sleep. Right. Cause he'd be laying in the bed next to me naked and doing God knows what I, I still haven't, those nights are pretty blurry in my memory, but I started, and I haven't told many people this when we would go on these trips and my family would be like, Oh my God, you and your dad, you go on these wonderful daughter, dad trips and you guys are so close and it's so awesome. And meanwhile, on these trips, I would, we went to Disney world and I was like, I, I, I can't sleep dad. So I, I'm, you snore. I made up that, you know, instead of being like, you wake me up naked, touching yourself. You, you, you know, you moan all night. Like God knows what you're fucking doing in the bed next to me. And so I would sleep on the patio of whatever hotel. Um, if there wasn't a patio, I'd sleep in the bathtub with the door locked and just like, and and no one knew that. Like he was like, that's normal. Like what the fuck? And, and so I, I, I knew he made my skin crawl. And I remember I told my roommate in college after I had known, um, after I started sort of admitting that something had happened, At the very least we showered together until I was like 12. Right. And the shower time was super, uh, blurry, but, um, later when I, the day I broke my arm, I had memories of the actual molestation in there. Um, ugh, this is a little bit less of a fun crawl space. I know that, um, it's important though. It, at least it's important to me. Um, it's important to me because I had to block it out and not talk to anybody for years and years. And I had, you know, multiple boyfriends and dating stuff. Uh, I mean, I wrote a whole book about how fucked up I was and it was because I had, I couldn't talk about this stuff. So it was easier for me to just date like trash bags because I didn't believe I deserved any better because this is what my father did. And so I, I told years later when I, I kind of started realizing at least admitting that I'd showered with him for as long as I had, um, and I, that sounds like I'm blaming 12 year old me, um, my father, as, as, that he made me shower with him as long as he did. Um, 
my grandmother was still alive and my grandmother was one of my favorite people on the planet. In fact, if you got my book, she's half of the dedication, uh, my grandma and papa. And uh, so I waited till she died before I cut him out because I knew that that would destroy her because she was one of those that thought my dad was like the second coming. Um, but I started to, to admit that out loud to people, not to people, really to myself that something had happened. And I... Um, the first time I said it out loud, I was at an Al-Anon meeting. God, it was like 15 years ago and it was in a house and it was an all women's meeting. And I was sitting and it was, you know, it was like someone's house. So it was like a really intimate setting and we're all sitting in, um, you know, we're all in this living room and there's like 25 women in there and every woman is shared. Right. And I am the last person to have shared. And if you've ever been to a 12 step where everyone in the room shares and, the, and you don't, and there's enough time for you to share, oh, that'll get you to share, dude. That'll get you to fucking share. Cause like the silence of just everyone, you know, everyone's trying not to stare at you cause they understand they've been there before where they don't want to share either, but they also know everyone knows it's you're up. Right. Uh, and so I raised my hand and I just said, I showered with my dad until I was 12. And then I just sat there and sobbed the rest of my two and a half minutes of sharing. And I never went back to that meeting. Um, and I mean, you know, any, any, it's obvious why it was, that was a big deal. That was really scary. And I just didn't think I could face any of those women. And I think that's why it's so important for me to talk about it now and and be so open about what happened to me because I want to take the stigma out of it. Like then my shame was so big. It was, I was ashamed that I had done something. It wasn't my shame. It was Tom's shame. And so many victims have that shame. And I think if I can just talk about it enough and enough people can feel like they're not alone. And I, you know, I career well spent, you know, um, who, this is where I get nervous about YouTube. It takes me six years to post these anyway. I finally posted like two episodes, but, uh, and then I, I went home right uh, shortly after that. And, uh, I drove to Denver. Um, and I lied. Did I drive to Denver? Yeah, I did drive. And I lied and said that I was only going to be there for like four days, but really I was going to be there like seven. And so I didn't have to see my dad that long. Um, and this is God, this is, disgusting. I, I went up, my dad was living in this one bedroom apartment. He had lost our house right before, right after I moved to LA. Um, and, uh, he was living in this little apartment that, uh, was a huge deal that I never stayed with him in. Like it was like when he died, I got the letters I sent to him and it's so sad because I was just such a scared 22 year old saying, I, I don't want to stay in your one bedroom apartment with you, dad. And you would think that I, you know, I mean, little did he know in like three years I was going to cut, cut his ass out. But the way he responded to that was like, I was abandoning him and who knows we could dive into his psychology, but he was a sick man. And, uh, he saved all those letters, which is wild. They were all like an envelope in his like top desk drawer. Like he like would frequently read it like a heartbroken teenager. So fucking dramatic. Um, and I went, so I went to his apartment to say goodbye the day that I was uh, supposedly going to drive back to LA and we talked for a little bit. And then he said, I can't believe I'm sharing this on here, but I'm tired of not being fully open about this because um, I want to spare my family who loves him so much. But it's like, I don't even think they listen to this. And also the ones that believe me, believe me. And the ones that don't never want to talk about it ever or they believe me, but they don't want to believe, you know what I mean? So it's just like, I'm tired of not tell it. So I we're sitting in the living room. I think three people know this story. Um, we're sitting in one of them's like a therapist. We're sitting in a living room, his living room. And I'm about to go. And he says, please stay the night. Stay the night with me one more time. I promise I'll be a good little boy. My fucking dad said that to me. And I just, at that point, I had enough Al-Anon and therapy in me to know that my dad was just a sick man. That's a sick man. And I just said, you got to let me go, dad. And he said, I know. And then I left. Then I went over to my old roommate's house. Oh, I can't believe I just shared that. Ugh. And it makes, it's still like, 
I know that it's not my shame. I know that. But like, it's still ingrained in me that it is, that I'm so ashamed that I had a dad that said that to me. When he said, when he finally admitted it to my friend who came back with me to say goodbye to him when he died, um, and he said lines were crossed, that conversation reminds me of when he said, stay the night one more time. One more time. What the fuck was he talking about? Like, he acted like we were like forbidden co- like lovers or coworkers. I was a little girl, man. I was a little girl, but it took me years to see that. I always like, I had dreams about us and I would dream as an adult. Like I was an adult and he was doing these things to me and I'd wake up so ashamed and so horrified and like I had done something and it took actually my current sponsor in ACA to be like you're a child you're a child there was no there was there's literally nothing that you could have done you were a child and I let that all go and the dreams by the way stopped because this woman this wonderful woman said that to me and I think if I can just say that to anybody to help them get through it and fuck man um so I, I went to my roommate's house, my old roommate's house to visit her. And she knew my dad. She was my roommate in college. And I sat her down and we were, and I, and I told her, uh, I, this is what I think my dad did, but I, I don't know if there's more. Um, but this is what I remember. And these are the things that I never wanted to admit. And she said, you know what? I knew that. And I said, how did you know that? She said, well, first of all, um, you talked about your dad like he was the second coming. But when I would come visit you at your dad's house, it was like mission impossible to get from the front door to your bedroom without your dad talking or seeing us. That's not normal. Neither of those things are normal to put him on such like a weird, almost obsessive pedestal. And then also avoiding him like the goddamn plague. People don't do that with with healthy parents. You know, like that's not. And then she said, and then when I met your dad, Uh, My dad took my roommates out to dinner once in college and the boys, the two boys I lived with just like ate him up. You know, my dad was very charismatic and was the guy that would like give the kid a beer. So like the teenage boy was like, your dad's the coolest. And it's just like, yeah, meanwhile, my dad yells at me if he can't watch me change, you know, um, God, uh, and I'll get back to the gray with that too. A lot of people think, um, you know, because he didn't rape me every day. It wasn't that bad. And there were times where I kind of wish that it was even worse so that maybe I could have gotten help or talked about it more quicker. You know what I mean? Because people uh, as a whole, when it's black and white, it's way easier to come forward. But when it's that weird gray where, you know, but mine wasn't gray. It took me years to have memories of it and years to talk about it. It wasn't fucking gray. And she said that when we went to dinner, my roommate, she goes, when we went to dinner, you know, our, our boy roommates ate him up and loved every minute of it. But she goes, your dad made my skin crawl. The way he looked at me, the way he looked at you, the way he talked and touched like the, I mean, just touched anything. Like she goes, he made my skin crawl. And that was a milestone in being in healing too. Um, just being validated and listened to, you know, being told that, that it was that bad or, and I'm telling you this stuff, if you have a victim in your life and they come forward to you, like don't validate it. Don't justify, or I mean, don't justify it. Validate their experience. Like my cousin, when I told her that Tom had done this stuff to me, she immediately said, I believe you. I believe you. And another cousin, when I finally told her, she said, um, I'm, gonna, I'm crying just because I'm crying because it's, um, I'm grateful that this was the response and I'm happy and it's hard to share. And this is going to be a rough episode to, uh, put out there, but I think it's important. Um, uh, my other cousin said, she hugged me and said, I am so sorry. You thought you had to carry that alone. And, and I did, I, I thought I did. Um, And so after the good little boy comment, uh, my grandma died a few years later and I, I had one last thing tying my dad to me. He was paying my car payment. Um, and I was trying to figure out how I could cut him off and I was terrified. I wasn't making very much money and I was terrified I wasn't going to be able to afford this car payment. Right. 
And um, in in twelve uh, step programs, we have traditions, and you know how we kind of run our twelve step meetings and pr- the whole program as a whole. There, uh, like one of the good ones is per- principles before personalities. So, like the greater good is more important than individual arguments, right? Individual, like I dislike a lot of people in the, the my my twelve step programs, but um, I have, and but doesn't matter. What matters is the thing as a whole that we all get to be there and recover, regardless, right? And then. Number seven is that being fully self-supporting, not taking outside contributions. And I heard that for the first time when I was trying to figure out how to cut my dad out, but also get him to keep paying my car payment because I was like, I can't afford it. And I'd listened to those traditions seven billion times over and I had a sponsor at the time who said, uh, well, tradition seven, that we are fully self-supporting. And like, you'll be taken care of you. This $200 will come like you'll be able to pay that bill. And so I, my, you know, my grandma had been dead for, you know, like nine months or something like that. And, or so I, I don't remember exact time, but less than a year. And I, uh, I reached out to my dad and I was like, Hey, uh, I can pay my own car payment now. You don't have to pay the payment anymore. And he was like, really? Are you sure? Cause my dad also used money as a way to like control me. Right. That was a big um, get me to do what he wanted me to do or like just money was a big, that's why I, that's why I'm now currently working on my money stuff. Cause I'm really weird about money and I know it has something to do with that, that fucking dude. Uh, and just like how many issues could this guy have given? I mean, this little story I told you now, it's no wonder I don't have a needle in my arm. You know what I mean? Like, I'm so grateful that I don't, um, that when I was doing a lot of serial killer, research, uh, and I've talked about this before, a lot of those guys had the same childhood that I did. And like, thank God, thank God I had, I I wasn't, I had grandparents. If you read my book, my dedication was to those two people. Like when people were like, how do you not have, how are you not like way more fucked up? And it like everything good in me came from those two people. Um, my grandparents, ah, my papa was my favorite person, still my favorite person I've ever met. And my grandma, close second, she was a mean, angry Irish woman. Fuck. I loved her. Um, who's just so bossy to everybody. But I, you know, and I knew it'd kill her if it already killed her that I didn't see my dad enough. And I barely went home when she was alive just to see her and then tolerate him. And I have letters from her being like, you could be nicer to your dad. Um, God, how crazy is that? Uh, but I, so I, I told him I was going to pay my own car payment and I wait, you know, and and then he started and he was like, okay, that I, you know, I, that's good, whatever. And, um, little did he know that was me preparing to cut him out of my life. And then the next couple of months I spent figuring out how the fuck I was going to do it. Um, hardest decision I've ever made in my life. And the second hardest is going back and saying goodbye to him before he died and forgiving him. Um, I'm grateful that I did both. I think that uh, certainly if I had kept him in my life and didn't didn't cut him out, I would be dead. There's no doubt in my mind I would be dead. Um, I don't know if it would be something that I would have done or something that like drugs or alcohol or just reckless living. I don't know, but I would be, there's no doubt in my mind I would be dead if I didn't have cut him out. Um, so I spent a couple of months trying to figure out how to do that. And he, the more I pulled away, the more he called and called and called. I mean, just like an obsessive ex-boyfriend just over and over 6am, 2am, you know, call me back, call me back, threats, uh, crying, anger, all this insanity. And I, I wrote him a letter I wrote him a letter um, and it took me a long time too after he died to forgive myself for that letter because I should have been braver or stronger to um, and braver or stronger to uh, to have done it to his face and a sponsor of, of mine, not my current one, my last one. She was like, you, would you make uh, another woman face her chronic abuser face to face to cut him out of their life? Or would you be like, no, you're allowed to do whatever you can do, however you were able to. And it's like, yeah, Kim now would have maybe done it differently, but Kim 10 years ago just needed that man out of my fucking life. And I didn't know how to do it. And I remember that day that I sent that letter. I, you know, I hand wrote it. And my dad always went, when I went into therapy and I went into 12 step, he was always terrified that the reason why I, um, was in those things was because of him and he would play, you know, the like, you're not going to 
Alan on because of anything I did, right? Like, ugh, ugh. yes, but I, I didn't want to upset him and I didn't know it was because of him. And I, you know, I had such a, a drunky mom that it was easy to be like, no, it's, it's her. Um, and so in this letter, I said, you know, I, I need you to, that, that letter was in there too, along with the letters of me begging him to please understand why I couldn't stay in his one bedroom apartment with him. God, he was a sick man, dude. Um, and it, the letter just said, you know, I need you to not contact me. I will contact you if and when I am ready. A lot has come to light. I, I need to work through the past with you and I, and I need you to not be there while I do it. And I said, if you want to know, this was the most I could say, if you are going to ask if the reason I'm doing this and going to therapy is because of you. Yes, it is because of things you did. Yes. Don't contact me. I will if and when I am ready. And I sent it. And I sat outside the post office and I sobbed. I went to an Al-Anon meeting, sat in the Al-Anon meeting. And this woman who uh, I, I am no longer in touch with, but will forever have a sacred space in my heart, sat there while I just sobbed. I just sobbed. And then I sobbed outside of the, the fucking post office. And I little did I know how hard it was going to be, but how how much it saved my life. Um, God, this is a bummer of an episode. I keep thinking that, but I think it's important. And I'm, um, I'll give you a trigger warning on my posts about it. Uh, and don't worry, the next book, I actually have already started writing the next book. It's a, don't worry, don't you worry. Uh, I'm, it's going to be about this. It's going to be about my dad and I's relationship. It's called Tom Made Me. And some of it's going to be, you know, the lighter side of our relationship, like Tom made me cool. Tom made me this, but there's going to be a lot of this in there too. And so I uh, went home and I, I didn't think about my family. I, I didn't cross my mind at all. I was close to a lot of them. Um, and one, my, my cousin I'm very close to called me, I'm going to say like five days probably after he got the letter. Or five days after I sent it. So I assume there was some phone calls. Who knows what I still don't know. And maybe I'll ask her one day um, exactly how it was presented. But uh, he, um, she called and she was drunk and which is understandable because this is, and she alluded to knowing why I had and kind of always knew and just didn't under, it was just, and one of the regrets I had and one of the, you know, amends that I am making to the, some of the family, like my little cousin that I'm really close to that I just clapped out. I didn't call anybody and say, Hey, I'm going to do this. You know, Hey, I'm still here. I'm still your family. I love you. It was just, I had to get the fuck away and I didn't know any other way to do it. And, um, some family chose sides my uncle, my uncle Jerry, uh, he, he never did. Um, but he needed to know why. And he would, you know, we'd go, when I'd come into town, we'd always have lunch and that I mean, he's passed on and he's one of my favorite people and we'd have lunches and he just needed to know why. And I didn't, I wasn't able to tell him. I'd tell him now. I tell any of them now it's not mine. It's his, it's Tom's Tom did this. I didn't do this. I was a little fucking kid. It's taken me, what, 20 years to finally get to the point where I can talk about it. So once again, ask me again why victims don't come forward. It's not just you come forward, the guy, you know, the guy goes to jail. It's like it's the it's coming forward also equals people justify it or don't believe you or you spend the rest of your life trying to heal from the aftermath of ruining, quote, ruining someone's life. Oh, God. Um, and all those relationships. uh you know, my, uh, my, my cousin Maggie never chose sides. Um, I officiated her wedding the first time I saw my dad after all of that. My dad would leave messages or emails every now and then and say that he was on his way to California and that he was going to force me to go to dinner with him and we were going to talk about this. Uh, I didn't realize how traumatizing that was and how much my anxiety was real until after he died and uh, Jimmy the Dragon and I broke up and he started leaving messages that he was that he was in town and he needed to see me. And then I started getting anxiety that I would that I was like that that's triggering. By the way, if you want to know what a trigger is, that's what triggering like I'm not afraid of Jimmy the Dragon at all. Like now that I've worked through the trigger, come on over Jimmy the Dragon. I can tell you to fuck off. Um, but 
But I, uh, for those of you who read the book, it's Danny the dragon in the book because I changed his name in the book. I don't fully understand how I can't get sued for this, but I could get sued for that. Maybe it's the writing thing. I don't know. I should call my lawyer friend back and ask. I am having lunch with him next week, I believe. So I can ask then, I suppose. Um, but yeah, he would leave it. And then I would sit in my apartment in the corner and sob, staring at that message or the email, shaking, like like visceral reactions to knowing that he was on his way. And then I would call somebody in program and say, this is what happened. And they would say, let's walk through what you're going to do. And I would email them back with my friend on the phone, my, 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 they call them fellow travelers on the phone and it would say, I got your message. I, that doesn't work for me. Do not come to Los Angeles. Um, and the funny thing is, is not, again, none of this is ha 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 funny, but the wild thing is, is he would, um, my dad used to send me, I think I've already told you guys about this for my birthday, uh, would send me sexually suggestive birthday cards. <laughs> it's not funny. Um, I, but it, it's so ludicrous that it's a little funny, right? It's not funny. Like, ha 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 ha. But it's just like, Jesus Christ, dude. Like one. And I remember I had this buddy, Kyle, who helped me see, like help me heal a little bit. Like laughter has always been a medicine for me. I know that that's, that's cliche and it's medicine for a lot of people, but it's always been, uh, you know, like, like that for me. And, um, and, uh, my buddy Kyle, I was working, you know, we worked in this phone room and he was sitting next to me and I pulled out this card and on the front, it said sex and money. And then you open it up and it was either two things you're going to get from me for your birthday or two things you're not going to get from me from your birthday. Either one, your dad shouldn't be sending you a card that says sex on the front of it. Right. And, and then it said, love dad. And I looked at my, I looked at my buddy Kyle and I was like, see what I have to deal with. And he just started laughing. And I was like, that's not funny. And I had just sort of realized that the showering was something that wasn't okay. And there was a reason why we weren't allowed to talk about it. Right. So I like, I, I, um, I, I, uh, I don't know what I'm saying. Oh, so I show Kyle this and he starts laughing and, and he goes, come on, that is so fucked up that it's funny. It's so fucked up. It's so fucked up that it's funny. And I was like, and I was able to heal a little bit. My dad used to get me Victoria's Secret, Jesus Christ, uh, pajamas for Christmas. They were never like lingerie, but why are you in Victoria's Secret buying your daughter anything? And I would keep them and I would feel so ashamed every time I wore them and every time I looked at them just like the the visceral reaction to seeing that what just like I like and then I made this friend Stacy who I told and oh he also used to get me sex calendars uh they were cartoons about sex but they that so Christmas was always calendar with that and lawn and, and uh, uh not lingerie but sexy pajamas from Victoria's Secret and I, t I showed my friend Stacy this one year and I was just like, oh, it makes me so sad. And then I showed her a box of these like sex cards from my dad. And she goes, what are you doing? Throw it away. And I was like, what? It never dawned on me that I didn't have to keep this shit. She was like, just throw it away. What else did he get you? One year he got me a camera. He always got me something super expensive along with like pajamas from Victoria's Secret. She's like, keep the computer, throw away the pajamas and the sex calendar. You don't got to keep that shit. And so like, I give me, and I think that's why I'm so open about this now. And this is what I want to do with my life is that I want to take the stigma out of Vic, uh, out of sexual abuse um, not sexually abusing but the victims there's a stigma and it makes people uncomfortable when you're like oh yeah this happened to me people are like oh my god it's so un yeah I know it's uncomfortable we should talk about it so maybe it might stop happening all the time it happens all the time the number of people I know that have come to me and talked to me about this stuff because I'm so open and have told me they've never told a goddamn soul what their brother cousin dad uncle did to them until I was a person that came forward and said, this is what happened to me and I'm going to talk about it because it's not my shame, it's Tom's shame. And so I'll never stop talking about it. And so today that uh, Bill Cosby getting released today is a, is a, a massive step back. And um, a massive step back. Uh, so yeah, my cousin, uh, I officiated her wedding and... Um, it's the first time I saw my dad since I cut him out and she was so wonderful. She, uh, 
uh, my family got this house um, near where the wedding was. Now they rented this house, and my cousin was like, "Hey," and I, you know, I I wasn't making very much money at the time, and I couldn't afford a hotel room. But because I was officiating, she was like, uh, "You can stay in the house, or your dad's going to be there. Um, so if you want, we can have your dad stay somewhere else, or we can get you a hotel room, and we'll pay for it. Or you can stay in the house if you're comfortable." And thank God I had enough twelve step in me, you know. Uh, to be able to say, I, I won't be able to stay in that house. And she was like, gotcha, hotel, no problem. And uh, he and my uh, aunt and uncle spend a lot of that wedding at the trunk of their car drinking booze out of the trunk because there was no uh, hard liquor at this at this wedding. Um, but, you know, it was facing him and then facing him on a level of like standing in front of like 50 people officiating my first wedding. It was really scary. Um, and then the last day I, I had to forgive myself for this. I felt so much shame around this. The last day, uh, it was one of the coolest weddings I've ever been to. Uh, it rained really badly that day and we were all under the tent. It was an outside wedding and we're all under these tents. Oh, excuse me. I burped. Sorry. Um, we're all under these tents and then the bride finally kicked off her shoes and just started dancing in the rain. So then the rest of us dance in the rain. I have never been sicker in my life except for when I had mono and COVID. I was so sick. Um, and so that morning I got up from the hotel room and I forgot to brush my teeth the night before and that morning. So gross, so gross. But I had stuff in my teeth and I didn't notice until I got to the airport. And I was so ashamed. I'm a human. I'm a human. I was hungover and sick and I was just like, whatever. So I... We go back to the house and uh, this is the last time I saw my dad before he um, was, you know, I went back to see him before he died, um, which was, God, nine years ago now, uh, literally nine years ago this month. Um, and as we were leaving, I was hugging everybody. I was going to the airport and as we were leaving, um, he was standing there and I just walked up to him and gave him a really big hug. And I said, I love you, dad. And I left. And I had so much shame around that. And the shame wasn't because I hugged my dad. I hugged my dad a ton when he was dying. I forgive him, dude. I know that that sounds wild, but my dad was a sick guy. And my spiritual belief is that, you know, he was all pinched up while he was down here. He's his higher self now. You know, he knows what he did. And I, and that's a lot to unpack my whole spiritual belief, but maybe I'll do it another day or a Patreon episode. Speaking of, I will have, I have three locked and loaded Patreon episodes. I just haven't gotten around to, I wrote a book, um, but I will, I will this week. I promise. I promise. I promise. Um, but it wasn't shame around hugging him, right? It was more shame that I abandoned myself because I didn't want to hug him. I just was too scared not to. So I abandoned myself to make him feel comfortable. Don't worry. I know you're listening to this and you're like, you can let that go. I let that go. But it's just, it's, it's funny how when you go through something like that, this, the stuff you shame yourself for, um, God, I'm hoping that all the stuff in the news with the Dalias and, um, talking about the gray and with Bill Cosby, I hope it feels like a step back, but maybe I hope that we can keep giving a voice to victims and not blaming victims and not saying things like, well, at least this didn't happen. You're right. I'm very lucky. My dad didn't rape me every day. He did technically, but not with his penis. You're totally right. I'm lucky that didn't happen. Um, maybe we should stop doing that, you know? Um, and by the, and that's another thing. Like when you tell people, when you hear stories from people, I know the human instinct is to cut the tension with making it better, making it lighter, like being like, well, you know, you, you, you're okay now. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's okay for us to just sit with the uncomfortable, like if you're on, like, let me, I don't know. I don't know if I'm saying this right, but like every time I've told this story to people, like they feel like they need to say something. Well, at least, at least, whether it be like, at least you're okay now, or look at you now, or you can just say that was really hard. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that happened to you. I'm here. If you need to, if you need to talk about what happened to you, like that's, that's what people need. They don't need to, to be told what they should be grateful for instead. Like that's a big thing that happened to me a lot too. That was like, I was told I should be grateful for X, Y, and Z instead of, you know, this massive thing happening. Um, instead of saying the massive thing that happened was bad. Oh boy. So that is the episode. Um, thank you for giving me a, 
space to to tell part of my story. Um, maybe another time I'll tell more of it and more of it. It's hard. It, this is. I will probably sleep like a fucking baby this afternoon for getting this out because it is. It's emotionally tolling and taxing, but I think it's important if you're able to share your story. And it took me years of therapy and 12 step and talking um, with, I don't, you know, I, I'm not like you should be sharing it on a big public scale, but I just mean like if you're able to, I don't know, whatever you can to heal. And my, I, my goal is to, you know, one of my big goals in life is Tony Robbins style standing on a stage talking about this and talking to other victims and helping them move on in some ways you never will in some ways I will never move on to what happened in that house um and uh that sucks that sucks but I think that's just the lot I'm dealt in this life and that's okay I'm I'm okay I'm okay whoo uh yeah that's that leads me to the why I'm one lucky broad I'm one lucky broad that I have a supportive friends and family that I, over the last, you know, decade or so that I've been able to talk to about this and, and share more and more of what happened to me, um, with just love and understanding and, and silence, you know, just, I'm sorry that happened. I believe you like my, what my one cousin said, I'm sorry you felt you had to carry that on your own. And she just hugged me. And we've had many, many nights where we've just talked about it and she is just fucking lovely. She just, and she's one of those that I think I need to talk to about how I sort of abandoned because she's my little sister on some levels. And I, uh, I just left. I had no other option. I just left. Um, so I'm one lucky broad that I have, that I had my grandparents, Dorothy and Creighton, those two people, I don't think they ever knew what was going on. I don't know. I'll never, if they did know it, it, you know, died with them. Um, but even if they did know because of them, I am everything I am now. I have no idea who I'd be. Every good thing inside of me came from them. Um, I'm one lucky broad and poop scoop. Oh God, the poop scoop. How I don't have any one guy emailed me and said, I have a story for you and then didn't leave a story. So if you're that guy, you got to include the story in store in order to be in the poop scoop. My friend, you got to include the story. Um, I do want to tell a, a palate cleansing story that I remembered the other day. So blah, 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 sexual abuse is out. Um, I hope you got something out of this. I hope you got more than just, oh, I'm sorry that happened to you, Kim. I hope maybe you saw a different perspective and maybe how to talk to other victims or maybe look at other, you know, like, I don't know. I hope you got more out of it than just hearing that I, you know, had a fucked up childhood and a fucked up dad. Cause I think we already knew that. That's why I'm so funny. I think, um, so I was my, my cousin, my little cousin, uh, he, he, I was his best man in his wedding. So we recovered from this, but I, when he was like a teenager and I was home from Colorado or from LA to in Denver, I was, we, he was, you know, like the teenager who didn't really talk much and you'd have to like pulling teeth to get him to like talk to you. Cause he was like just way too cool to talk. So we're driving and it's like dead silence. It's dead silent. We're driving around like this neighborhood. I know this is running like a faucet. It's like dead silent. And I see a bird on the other side of the street, just like hanging out on the street. And I, I thought if I like swerved to like pretend to hit the bird, we'd have a laugh about it. So I swerved and I hit the bird. Like I actually like killed the bird, but it looked like I intentionally <laughs> tried to kill the bird. Like I thought the bird would just fly away and we'd have a laugh about me being silly. Instead, I just went out of my way to murder a bird and we're driving. And then I like go back to the side of this, my side of the street and we're driving. And finally my cousin goes, we're, silence still and like after several seconds he goes you just killed a bird and I was like yeah I, I, I guess I did <laughs> and I think about that all the time I don't know if I've ever talked to him about this before if we have I think he was like yeah I remember you killed that goddamn bird I just killed the bird because I was trying to connect to him I know again it's like when George Costanza was like running through pigeons and like he killed one or something and he's like we had a deal that's what I thought I thought that he would just move um that's a pretty good palate cleanser, right? So poop scoop, guys, I don't know. Uh, I haven't pooped my pants in a little bit. 
should I tell an oldie but a goodie? I remember one time when I was driving, uh, my dad and I were on one of those creepy little road trips and I had to poop really bad. This is grim. This is grim, but we're going to tell it. I had to poop really bad and I'm really afraid of outhouses. Like I'm really scared of outhouses. Maybe something happened to me in an outhouse. Like I just, the anxiety I get inside of an outhouse is like historic. It has to be historical, right? Like it has to be something. Cause I'm like, like terrified of outhouses. So I had to poop and we were on this road trip and so we finally, and we're like in like Colorado National Monument or some shit where like the fucking, the fucking nearest bath, like there's like a bathroom every 40 miles or some shit. So we finally find a bathroom and I'm like nearing going to shit my pants. I have no idea. How, I have no idea how I shit my pants. I also attribute this day to why I never poop. I, I think this was the day that I started to fuck up my body to where my body doesn't it like the constipate the IBS. This is the day we can blame Tom Crawl for this stuff too. Um, so we finally find a bathroom and I'm like, dad, what if it's an outhouse? He goes, I don't give a fuck. You got to poop. You go poop in that fucking bathroom. So I walk up and I asked the guy coming out and was like, is it an outhouse? And he goes, yeah. And I walked back to my dad and I was like, it's an outhouse. We have to find another bathroom. I can't do it. And he was like, you're going to go in that fucking outhouse. You're going to go. So I went into the outhouse and then I knew I couldn't go, but I also knew that there was like some decisions that needed to be made. I don't know why I didn't just poop in the outhouse, like on the ground. It was a big outhouse. Like there was places for me to squat and poop. In hindsight, that's what I should have done. I know that's really gross, but I can't, the fat, the vastness of underneath you, like I don't like vastness. You know what I mean? Like the ocean freaks me out because you can't see the whole thing. The outhouse freaks me out because you can't see the whole thing. That might be why I'm so freaked out about outhouses. But I should have just pooped in the corner. It already smelled like garbage. I, I'm not above picking up my own poop and putting it in the outhouse. Next time I have to poop and there's only an outhouse and it's big enough, I'll poop in the corner of an outhouse. Gross. This was, I think I've lightened the mood now. But so I like just stood in there and was just like, there are some decisions I had to make. And I chose the possibility of lying to Tom and then the possibility of probably shitting my pants. So I came out after a few minutes. He's like, did you go? And I was like, yep, I, I sure did. And then we drove for another nine hours. Now, my father, I like that he did this because I travel really well now. Like, I'm not a girl that needs to, like, pack, like, four, like four weeks before a vacation. I'll pack the morning of and I'll bring everything, right? And I also travel well. Like, I never have to go to the bathroom. Like, it's kind of sad because Tom wouldn't let me go to the bathroom anytime on trips unless we're out of gas. So I would hold my bathroom forever. Probably why I pee my pants a lot, too. Um I believe this whole thing sort of fucked up my system. So well done, Tom. But so then we finally get to the hotel and I darted out of the car. No pass and go. No collect. Just like ran as fast as I could with the key. And I went in and I shit my brains out and I came out and that smug bastard was like, I knew you didn't go to the bathroom in there, but I needed to teach you a lesson. What a cut. <laughs> I didn't call him a cunt. And then a, I was a, a cuck, but that's not that's creepy to call him, but what a cunt, right? Like what a fucking asshole. Um, so that's your poop scoop. And if you want me to keep telling poop scoop stories, you need to send them to me. Uh, K Y M K R A L S P A C E at gmail.com. Kim's crawl space at gmail.com. Um, oh, I have one more. Oh, I have one more, uh, review guys. So that means that you guys are going to need to send me some reviews. Um, please rate, rate and review. Um, it just helps the podcast get pushed out there more. It just helps iTunes are like, okay, cool. We'll, we'll show more people this because a lot of people have taken the time to, uh, to fucking, what am I doing? Um, to, uh, rate this and review it. So please, please, please rate review, share it. If you like it, it just really helps the podcast get out there and helps me with my dreams of telling more people about this horrible me too origin story. I think that might be my Me Too origin story. Nope, that's not good. Okay. Uh, so this one is hilarious. Oh, this is from Passion Board Shop. I did this guy's this guy's show and it's coming out, I believe, in two weeks. He has a radio show in a town in Minnesota and it was... So check it out. It's called Passion Podcast. So good. Uh, he gave me five stars. It says, Kim is hilarious and a great host. She keeps it entertaining regardless of the subject. Can't wait to hear more. Thanks, Chris. That's awesome. Um, so check out his podcast and definitely listen to it when I'm on it because we talk about a lot of fun shit. A lot of fun shit. Um, not just the Me Too, but I will be on uh, Bill Dawes's podcast. I guess that's releasing tomorrow. Please listen to that if you want to hear more about... Uh, 
I didn't get to the where my how my uh, a lot of my family reacted to me cutting him out, but we'll get to that on the podcast tomorrow if you want to hear about it. Um, and then also talk more about my book. My book is out, everybody. Confessions of a Recovering Party Girl. Um, so far, it's been getting some pretty good reviews, so I'm really really proud of it. So if you get a minute, please uh, buy it, buy it, buy it. And uh, Patreon is not updated yet, and I didn't find a doctor, so I broke two promises to you. But uh, the book came out last week. It's been out one week, one week. Oh, that was that was the secret from last week um my uh the audio or not the audiobook the ebook was available in the morning and I didn't announce it until both were available and I uh, so that was the secret well because I didn't want people to think I was announcing it on my podcast and not announce it when it doesn't matter uh so I will find a doctor and I will update patreon today it's on my list for today uh doctor maybe tomorrow or the next day but that's our episode everybody uh thank you thank you so much for um listening and um giving me space to do this. I hope, I don't know. I hope you got something out of it. Uh, I feel a little lighter sharing it one more time. Every time I get to share a part of my story, I get to let a little bit of it go. And, um, if you're a person who has a story and hasn't been able to share it, no, you're not alone. Um, it took me years to be able to talk about this. It's uh, really scary. It's really brave. Um, so you're not alone. And, um, I hope hearing my story has helped a little bit. Uh, that is the episode guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all the supports. I will see you next week. Bye.